You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Patch Tuesday will not include a Skype fix. That one will take some time and attention. Olympic Destroyer is the malware thought to be infesting the Winter Games. Attribution remains unclear, but a lot of suspicious eyes are looking at you, Mr. Putin. The Lazarus Group is stepping up its cryptocurrency stealing game. Questions swirl around the alleged BitGrail cryptocurrency exchange losses. And hey, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. It's Patch Tuesday, and Microsoft and other vendors will be issuing various fixes over the course of the day. It may be a relatively quiet month. Adobe put a new Flash update out at the end of last week, which may do it for Adobe for a while. Mozilla updated Firefox last week, too. Google pushed a Chrome patch out a week ago, so we may see little from them as well. Microsoft is expected to publish its customary Windows update today. One patch users will have to wait for involves Skype, the widely used telecom software. The product, developed by Microsoft's subsidiary Skype Technologies, has been discovered to suffer from susceptibility to DLL hijacking that could allow an attacker to gain system-level privileges on victim machines. DLL hijacking involves an attacker gaining the ability to control which dynamic link library, that's the DLL, a program loads, which in turn permits that attacker to insert a malicious DLL into the loading process. Dynamic link libraries are basic components of the Windows operating system that provide applications with essential resources. The problem arises from a flaw in Skype's update installer. Microsoft won't patch this issue immediately. It's not because Redmond is indifferent or regards the vulnerability as minimally important, Rather, it's a tricky problem that will require significant reworking of Skype code. Microsoft intends to fix it in future versions of Skype. The bug could be weaponized, but so far there are no signs that it has been. Exploiting the vulnerability isn't trivial either, and so serious as the issue is, immediate danger, while real, is still relatively improbable. We recently received a report from researchers at Duo Security on a category of devices that aim to increase personal security and whether the cybersecurity on these devices is up to the task. Mark Loveless is a security researcher at Duo, and he explains. These are personal protection devices. Uh, Sometimes they're referred to as panic buttons. Uh, Very simple little Bluetooth devices that... 
basically if you press a button on the device and the device is essentially only a button uh, it talks to an app on the phone that's matched up with it and then the app uses the phone's gps coordinates to send a message to a list of people that the person that pressed the button was is probably in some form of danger physical danger and so what would be a typical use case for something like this um, the main way the, these things are marketed are typically toward uh, women who are feel at risk. Uh, they're afraid of uh, stalkers or some other type of attackers, uh, you know, similar in that nature. Uh, perhaps if they, for whatever reason, decide that they want to go uh, running in a park for exercise or, or whatnot, and they want, they just feel unsafe there. But they are also increasingly being used by human rights workers uh, in foreign countries, people that are protesting under repressive regimes that also want some method to be able to say, hey, I'm in danger. Hey, come get me. So the notion being that rather than pulling your phone out and having to make a phone call, you could, in a very discreet way, just press a button on this device and it'll, it'll do that in an automated way. Uh, exactly. And typically what the uh, the scenario that they often repeat is that in some cases, getting your phone out, it might uh, actually escalate the situation. So we've got this device that is designed uh, with people's safety in mind. And uh, and yet in your research, you all found some some potential vulnerabilities in them. Can you take us through those? We tested three devices. One of them, the Aurora Athena, came through with flying colors. In fact, we were extraordinarily surprised as to how well it was put together. The second one was the that uh, was the Revelar device, and that one was subject to being able to track it via Bluetooth and not only be able to see the device, but determine that it, in fact, was one of these personal protection devices because it gave it up in the name. Hmm. And then uh, the WearSafe device, uh, it also was uh, subject to tracking, uh, but it also uh, had a uh, vulnerability in its Bluetooth implementation so that a remote attacker could disable the device. And there was no indication, because there's no real light or anything on the device uh, that would indicate whether it's working or not. You just press a button and that's pretty much it. And by doing this uh, Bluetooth attack, you could disable the device and the victim would not know the device was disabled. So you could sit there and press the button thinking that help was coming when help was not. I see. Uh, overall, what's your advice for someone who thinks that this might be the kind of thing that they want to use? If someone's out shopping for this sort of device, do you have any tips for them? Well, first off, I would say you want to go with the, the one that uh, does not have any vulnerabilities mm -hmm. associated with it. I would look for ones that really make an effort to protect your privacy. While the physical disabling uh, via Bluetooth is an issue, you have to be close enough to the person to be able to do that. Same with the tracking, but just to prevent uh, yourself from being tracked, actually, uh, you know, I would, I would, for me, the Roar Athena was uh, by far the, the best uh, solution for this. So if anyone spends that much attention to detail uh, and is really trying to protect someone's privacy with a security device, uh, that's, that's going to be what I would look for. That's Mark Loveless from Duo Security. You can find their complete report on these IoT safety devices on their website.
The Olympics are now generally regarded as having been the victims of a cyber attack and not a mere glitch. The game's sites were taken out during the opening ceremonies last Friday, and the malware used against official sites of the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics now has a name, Olympic Destroyer. It's also said by Cisco's Talos Research Unit to share some code with NotPetya and Bad Rabbit, pseudo-ransomware strains famously used last year. The malware was apparently used with disruptive rather than financially motivated intent, which argues a political or ideological motive. How the malware got into systems it infected is unclear, but Talos did note that the software contained would appear to be hard-coded credentials based on PyeongChang2018.com, the official domain for the Winter Games. While Talos hasn't been able to confirm those passwords' validity, the coding suggests the possibility that the attackers have some kind of advanced access to Olympic systems. The two usual suspects are Russia and North Korea, with more of the circumstantial evidence and motive and opportunity pointing toward Russia. Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs is on the counter-messaging warpath, denouncing rumors of that country's involvement as nothing more than a CIA and NSA operation concocted with firms like ESET, ThreatConnect, and TrendMicro. Bratislava-based ESET is particularly mentioned in dispatches, and a Slavic-American plot against Russia would at least have the virtue of novelty. But ESET understandably and believably denies that any such thing is up, characterizing the charges as propagandistic hooey and misdirection. But nevertheless, in this case, the hijackers seem likelier to answer to Moscow than they do to Pyongyang. Russia has been taking cyber shots at the Olympics and related international athletic organizations since its team was banned for doping late last year. Besides, North Korea has played an unusually strong propagandistic hand these last couple of weeks. Kim Yo-jong, sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, has enjoyed a successful stroll around the international catwalk as the appealing public face of the secretive, impoverished, and repressive Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Her appearance has amounted to an information ops coup, as she's been the subject of positive coverage reminiscent of the flattering treatment Syrian First Lady Asma al-Assad, also the glamorous and fashionable face of a pariah state dedicated to the pursuit of weapons of mass destruction, received in fawning profiles by Vogue and other outlets a few years ago. Kim is now back in Pyongyang, treat accounts of her goodwill embassy with appropriate skepticism. North Korea may be posing as a global model citizen during the games, but its Lazarus group has shown a new spurt of activity in its familiar speciality of cryptocurrency theft. Researchers at security firm McAfee are tracking the resurgence of the group's Haobao campaign. It uses tools pioneered in earlier campaigns, directed principally toward espionage in phishing efforts directed against cryptocurrency users and financial institutions, especially cryptocurrency exchanges. The little-known BitGrail cryptocurrency exchange, based in Italy, says it's lost $195 million to hackers, but observers are skeptical. The currency they lost is Nano, formerly known as Rayblox. BitGrail blames the Nano development team for the loss, but Nano Core cries foul and says BitGrail has been misleading people about its solvency for some time. BitGrail has filed a complaint against Nano developers alleging aggravated defamation. It's too early to know what actually happened here. Two weeks ago, the Next Web noted rumors that BitGrail was attempting to scam users in the course of an announced suspension of support for non-European users.
matters should become clearer as investigation and litigation proceed. Finally, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Did you notice? Did this reminder prompt you to hustle over to online purveyors of chocolate, flowers, pajamas, jewelry, cute stuffed animals, and the other impedimenta of la vie d'amour? We thought so. Well, caveat amator. Experts caution the lovelorn against entrusting their hearts to the internet. Believe it or not, scammers are out there looking to relieve you of cash, credentials, and whatever residual self-respect you may still be clinging to. Catfish are out there looking for you in chat rooms and social media. And one very odd dating site is being described by Security Boulevard. The service matches soulmates by, wait for it, their passwords. Enter your password, and it will find someone who uses the very same one for a match made in cyberspace. So hop to it, Ninja1234. Put yourself out there, let me in 789. The one you've been looking for is out there. But seriously, don't let credential harvesting let good and go bad. We'll have more on the topic of Valentine's Day tomorrow when we talk to those experts in affairs of the heart, the researchers at IBM Security. The heart has its reasons, which the reason knows not. But apparently, Watson's got a pretty good idea of what's going on. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at Webroot. David, welcome back. Um, one thing we saw in 2017 was an increase of attacks on the Mac. And, and Apple also had a handful of, I call them high-profile software issues that had affected security. Uh, are, are we having a tr- problem here with the Mac? Is the Mac more vulnerable than it used to be? 
Well, I would say it's probably not more vulnerable than it used to be. I always like to say, why, why do people attack uh, Windows machines? Um, it's like, why do why do bank robbers rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess my point in saying that is there have been vulnerabilities in the Mac environment, but but they've just not been heavily used or heavily attacked because it's easier to attack uh, other types of machines out there. So they're there, but but it's just not readily as readily available. It's a little more challenging. And just like the rest of us, cyber criminals can be lazy. So is it that combination that uh, there may be more vulnerabilities on the Windows side, but also there are just so many more installations? One man's opinion, it is there are more installations. And OS X was built from the ground up with, with security in mind, where Windows, um, the initial, uh, when it came out, it, it was really built for collaboration, integration, getting things to talk together. So there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of communication back and forth. I will tip my hat. Windows 10 is a very good operating system rebuilt from the ground up with security in mind. So, But, but the Mac, again, and, and we're just talking here, the, the Mac is inherently more secure, the OS X, but you know, it does have vulnerabilities. And so, in terms of best practices for someone on the Mac side, what sort of uh, what sort of care should they be taking? In every single segment that you let me say it, I'm going to say you should be backing up your data. <laughs> backing up your data is the best way in case something happen happens. And Apple makes that absolutely simple um, with OS X. Um, but most importantly, and, and again, you should do this no matter what operating system you're running on what device. You, you need to apply patches. And, and Apple does a great job of when a vulnerability comes out in their OS or even a third party that runs an o on their OS, they, they do a great job of getting a patch out quickly. And patching is the best way to make sure new attacks or, or exploits, um, you're not susceptible to those. So when you get that notice from Apple saying there's an update available, go ahead and install it. Absolutely go ahead and install it, especially if it's from Apple. They're very reliable. They're very good in how they uh, they approach um, you know, their security. All right, David DeFour, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.